Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, for 25 years partnering with donors and nonprofits and communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships. On the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock on the dot, and you are tuned to, w, tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning, and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Maine's quality of place relies in large part on its outdoor heritage. Whether they made their living in the forest or on the farm or on the sea, Maine people have enjoyed being outdoors, and for over a century, visitors have been coming in all seasons to take part in this outdoor legacy. Of the many parts of Maine state government charged with the oversight of this legacy, the Department of Conservation has one of the more complex roles, both to promote enjoyment of our natural resources and to protect them. And on today's program, we'll be speaking with Commissioner Patrick McGowan about the department's role in guiding development in Maine's unorganized territory, citing wind energy projects and the future of the northern forest, among other topics. So glad you can be with us for the next hour and uh, talking with with, uh, Commissioner Patrick McGowan. Patrick, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Good to be here, Ron. Thanks for having us on. Great. Well, um, let's start by getting a little bit of uh, background on yourself. Um, you um, probably have some early memories of, of Maine outdoors. Um, what were some of those early memories? Well, I've always been uh, uh, an outdoors person. Um, I, w- I was born in Maine. I was born in Bangor, raised in, in Somerset County. And uh, I, from early days, I, I've spent uh, time in the outdoors. And uh, uh, I remember going into the Allegheny for the first time when I was 12 years old and meeting um, Al Nugent who ran Nugent's camps up on Chamberlain Lake and I, I honestly thought he was the original Paul Bunyan. He was a <laughs> giant of a man and uh, I've spent uh, uh, thousands of hours in the outdoors with my family and friends and uh, uh, I just finished a, a paddle on the St. John River uh, with a bunch of friends and uh, I know you just got back from the Allagash, which uh, uh, I'd love to hear more about and that's a river that I usually paddle once a year and uh, um, just uh, it's uh, it's the job that uh, I think will be the best job that I've ever had in my life, and we've we've gotten a lot done in the last uh, seven years uh, working with in, within the Baldacci administration. Mm. T- tell us a little bit about um, the role that the the uh, uh, 
Department of Conservation plays within state government. It, it's organized. Um, it has a number of different components. Just give us that little bit of background. Sort of the overview of the department is we are a, a, a department of about 600 employees. About 300 of those employees are seasonal. Um, they are some of the finest people that I've ever worked with. They love their jobs. They get up in the morning, spend most of their jobs uh, days outdoors, and uh, who couldn't like a job like that uh, in the state of Maine? Uh, within the Department of Conservation is the Bureau of Parks and Lands, uh, which hosts uh, 2.2 million visitors annually. It's a big part of Maine's uh, uh, seasonal economy, summer economy, if you will. 47 of those parks and historic sites around the uh, around the state of Maine, plus all of the reserved land units, like Donnell Pond, one of my mm -hmm. favorites, very close to right. your W. ERU station, and uh, of course, Dabuli, uh, the Dabuli unit in northern Maine, which may hold uh, the biggest trout in the state of Maine. We're not sure about that, but there's a good chance of it. And uh, of course, the Maine Forest Service, which Maine is 20 million acres of land. It's 17 million acres of forest. Um, the Maine Forest Service provides the protection uh, for those forests, either through uh, ranger protection for fires, aerial uh, suppression of forest fires. Last year in Maine, we had about 800 forest fires in the state. People don't realize that because they only see the big fires in California right. and the West. But the Maine Forest Service gets on these fires quickly. We put them out. They they stay small, and uh, these people are dedicated hard workers. And also, they enforce the Forest Practices Act uh, in the state of Maine. We have the Bureau of Geology, which is uh, maps all of the aquifers and the rock uh, formations in the state within the department. Uh, the Bureau of Natural Areas, which also maps uh, endangered species habitat and uh, and does a lot of landowner assistance to help them find some of those special plants and animals on their properties. And and uh, we also have the Land Use Regulation Commission, which is um, a, a group of about 20 uh, five people, uh, dedicated workers to uh, that are the oversight of 10.2 million acres of Maine, what we call the unorganized territory in northern Maine. And uh, um, they are, uh, as I said, a dedicated group of people. Uh, uh, in the last um, uh, few years, we've had several large industrial wind projects come through Lurk, as well as uh, the Plum Creek plan um, that uh, uh, that they've worked very very hard on. I've seen many of these people walking out the door with uh, with uh, armloads of paperwork every night. They're just a, a good group of people dedicated to the state of Maine. And uh, uh, as your listeners know, the Maine state budget has been uh, reduced significantly. Uh, this budget is a half a billion dollars less than last year. A lot of the state workers have taken significant cuts to their own uh, paycheck as well as picking up pieces of their health insurance. So these are dedicated workers and they do a great job and uh, I'm proud to work with them at the Department of Conservation. Mm. One of the, the things that I'm um, thinking about as we um, talk today is is Maine's quality of place, a, mm -hmm. kind of a, a look at the, the whole and, and mm -hmm. what um, the Department of Conservation is doing around quality of place. That term um, has been used in a special um, study committee mm -hmm. um, and before that um, there was the concept that you helped pioneer and that was the land for Maine's future. Both of these things, I think, are tied up in terms of what other people think about Maine and what Maine people think about um, themselves, the quality of place. How would you talk about that? Um, I think that's, 
as you pointed out uh, at the start of this uh, show, Ron, Maine people are tied to the land. Uh, they're tied to the land in forestry or farming, and they're tied to the uh, land that brings them to the water, mm. whether whether it's the shorefront in uh, in uh, Stonington or Lubeck or Birch Harbor or Winter Harbor or go down the coast to, to Kittery, um, people are tied to the to the natural world in this state. And uh, uh, things like the Land for Maine's Future program, which was started in in '87 uh, when I was in the legislature, has put about half a million acres of land into conservation. And most of this is, is special places, places that. Um, um, uh, like Kineo on Moosehead Lake, or like Namakanta uh, on the the former Diamond Occidental Paper Company lands, um, you could go on and on with every county and find mm. a significant special place that was saved by the Land for Maine's Future program. It enjoys wonderful support from the people of Maine. Democrats, Republicans, and Independents vote for it uh, with over 65% of the vote usually. Um, even in tough times, they vote for the Land for Maine's Future program. They want uh, more land. I think a lot of people in Maine have seen land that has changed ownership that might have gotten away from some of the traditional use of public access, and they want land to stay open to the public and uh, in public use. Uh, in the last seven years, we've gone from about 600,000 acres in the state of Maine in conservation to about 1.2 million acres. So we've doubled the land uh, through easement and fee that the people of Maine owned, and uh, uh, that's been a good piece of work for a lot of people, a lot of partners, a lot of land trusts, a lot of people dedicated to this effort. And where does that stand now? Is that um, up for renewal? How is that um, funded? At this well, point? unfortunately, it didn't fare that well in this legislative session. Um, uh, there will be uh, some money come out in November of 2010 for parks, a small amount for parks and for Land for Maine's Future. I think that the legislature uh, wanted to uh, focus their bonding on economic development, which is perfectly understandable in these tough economic times. Um, but uh, um, uh, Land for Maine's Future didn't fare as well as I would have liked to have seen it, but uh, we, there will be another bond in the fall of 10. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about um, the uh, comprehensive land use plan mm -hmm. um, in the uh, unorganized uh, territories yeah. of Maine. First of all, um, maybe a, a bit of background. How did they become unorganized, or were they ever organized? They were never never organized, and uh, um, it, it is half of the state of Maine. Mm -hmm. um, Ten million acres of land in the state of Maine owned mostly by large, uh, uh, what we call large industrial landowners. Um, if you will, uh, about 8 million acres of that land has changed hands in the last decade. Um, so it when, used to be a pretty stati static pattern of land ownership. Yeah, I'm, growing up in Maine, you'd say the paper company lands. Mm -hmm. And uh, there would be the 2 million acres of Great Northern, the 1 million acres of international paper. And there are no longer paper company lands in Maine. The paper companies sold their lands. And uh, um, it, it was a decision probably made by some corporate headquarters, some other place. Bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now the land is not tied to the jobs in the mills and... And uh, um, we're seeing some real problems with wood supply and, uh, of course, energy issues with the paper mills. So um, they sold that, that land to, to um, raise capital, presumably. Raise cash for their uh, corporate. A lot of it was uh, uh, short-term 
return on investments uh, that, uh, I mean, if you look at the history of uh, S.D. Warren Scott paper, they had a great ownership of about a million acres. That's now the Plum Creek land, um, and that land was managed for the long term. It was mm-hmm. managed mm-hmm. Uh, for 40 or 50 years. The Great Northern lands were managed for 100 years. International paper land was managed for 50 years, which included public access and uh, habitat uh, protection as well as uh, uh, timber supply to the mills. Most of that dynamic and, and business model has changed uh, on these ownerships. So, so the, the um, assumption was that um, they would sell off the land, but they would still um, buy timber on that right. land. I mean, the land sale at uh, S.D. Warren was, uh, Scott was included with the wood supply agreement. Problem is the wood supply agreement didn't guarantee a price. <laughs> so the prices have spiked high, spiked low, spiked. Uh, not, so not giving um, the, the business um, a steady, stable supply of wood. And uh, um, we see that as, as, as some, uh, an issue that needs to be addressed in, in the state of Maine. And uh, we've been working on that. It's keeping forest as forest, uh, efforts that uh, Alec Giffen, the state uh, forester, has been working on. Um, and uh, we're having some success. Are there examples of, of uh, companies that still own land and are still managing for the long haul in Maine? Um, yeah, there's still some traditional landowners in, in the state of Maine that have been around for a long time. Uh, the Seven Islands land ownership has been here for uh, well over 100 years. Um, the uh, the Prentice and Carlisle has been around for a long time. So there still are some long-term owners committed to that type of management. They're certified. Um, some of them are dual certified. They have both FSC and uh, Forest Stewardship Council and uh, SFI uh, uh, certification which is exactly what these, um, when we look at the people who buy the paper in Maine, whether it be Time, Inc., uh, who publishes Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, Fortune, and, and, uh, or the Hearst Buying Group, or um, Land's End, or LLB and the Catalog people, they want certified paper, which means third-party audits on sustainable forestry, and uh, they want all of that from Maine. They want 100% of it. We're running about 60% right now, which is uh, far short of our goal uh, Mm. to meet that need. And I think that we can maintain this economy if we can certify our land base, and and I mean all of it. Mm -hmm. So let's let's set aside the land that's owned by companies who are in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. All of the rest of this land then, even though there may be some um, uh, timber agreements on it, Mm -hmm. is really up for grabs. And that brings in the the need for this comprehensive land use plan, the idea that we have some idea what might be happening to that land um, into the future. Well, the comprehensive land use plan has uh, drawn a lot of fire um, uh, in, in recently, but basically it's a 10-year plan like a municipality does mm-hmm. or um, um, a, a political subdivision that says we're going to plan, mm-hmm. and this is how we're going to plan the growth and uh, uh, the use of this land for a period of time. I mean, there have been people that have told us uh, uh, that the plan would exclude motorized use. Not true. They t- they've said that it would uh, uh, create a national park. Not true. Um, it's basically the plan that we adopted uh, 10 years ago with a few minor changes and a few minor observations about what's happening in the um, unorganized territory. 
what are some of the issues that you were hoping to address through that plan? I, I suppose part of it has to do with um, the selling off of, of uh, lakeshore um, and recreational lots and right. what's happening to those areas, which um, are under pressure. I mean, we have um, uh, uh, a uh, tool, I guess you'd call it, within the uh, LERC uh, um, proceedings called the Lake Concept Plan. We've approved uh, several of those, um, and, and most of them were small uh, subdivisions. Um, the one that Plum Creek brought us was over a thousand lots and a resort. Um, so, I mean, this was different than anything we'd ever seen before. Um, it, it was it was all consuming for you know this staff of 25 people to look at this type of uh, proposal. And so, um, uh, the the comprehensive land use plan does address uh, growth and stable growth in the UT and uh, how it will how it would be uh, managed. No one likes um, regulation. No one likes people to tell them what they can do with their land. But the fact is, is that, uh, is that uh, uh, when we look at what the legislature tells us to do and what the people of Maine want, they want uh, some stability and they want some oversight. And uh, that's what this club provides. And it's a good document and we hope to get it uh, approved uh, in this year. And, and so when you were going through that process, you had people from both sides, um, from the Forest um, Products Council and, mm -hmm. and from um, the conservation organization. Right. both kind of coming at you as you tried to craft this. Were there some lessons that you think you learned in that in that process from this round? Uh, I think so. I think there were le lessons um, uh, from uh, the administrative side is that uh, the more that we hear from people um, and the people that live in the unorganized territory, the people that use it, um, the people that own it, um, the better decisions that, that we can make. And so uh, the Plum Creek plan itself, we went out and did scoping sessions and had over a thousand people show up at our hearings in the Greenville, Jackman, um, uh, we even had a scoping session in Portland. Um, and to tell us what they thought of this, how we could make it better, um, and uh, you know, make the conservation permanent, cluster the lots, get the development back off the shoreline. A lot of those suggestions that were made by the general public were incorporated into the staff recommendations to the Land Use Regulation Commission. This took a lot of work mm. um, to go out and do these Outreach, as I said, it's a it's a small group of um, many people think it's this large bureaucracy mm -hmm. in Augusta. It's 25 people mm -hmm. uh, over, with oversight of 10 million acres. So we went out and and set up um, um, public forums. People came, and uh, it was a very valuable experience. We've done the same thing with the comprehensive land use plan. Mm. Well, in terms of, of uh, the, the Plum Creek um, operation, the um, where does that stand? Just remind us where that stands at this point. The way it stands today that the staff has recommended um, approval of the latest version of the Plum Creek plan, which includes 400,000 acres of conservation land and about 1,000 uh, lots and a resort. Mm -hmm. um, and that will be recommended to the, um, I believe, the August 
meeting of the Land Use Regulation Commission for either approval or denial. So mm. the staff is recommending approval of the plan as it stands today. Mm. And remind us again, um, the the Board of, of Land Use Regulation Commission. That's those are appointed individuals. They're appointed and and approved by the they're appointed by the governor, approved by the legislature. It's a citizens board. Um, again, an not uh, an unpaid group of individuals that uh, uh, have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours. Uh, a lot of them live in the land use regulation jurisdiction um, and uh, spend hundreds of hours listening to de- the debate about this particular project. But remember, at the same time, uh, they received 1,200 regular applications, and that w- that's from um, building a deck on someone's camp in a lake or building a, um, um, a multi-million dollar home in, in uh, north of Moosehead. Mm. So this is really akin to um, a, the, the planning board for a local town, but this is 10 million acres of land that you're trying to, to do It's exactly for. what it is. Right. And, you know, I mean, I have uh, – there's, there's been a lot of uh, um, um, comments lately about Lurk in, in a negative way, but uh, most of uh, the people that I hear from are the people that do the 1,200 um, – applications mm-hmm. a year saying the people that I dealt with were professional they were timely I sent my application in and I got it back on t- on time and I'm now building my cabin or my deck or my uh, septic system uh, in the unorganized territory mm. you're tuned to talk of the towns here on WERU we're having a conversation that I'm calling the balancing act promoting and protecting Maine's outdoor legacy our guest this morning is Patrick McGowan the commissioner of the Department of Conservation you can participate as well if you'd like uh, give us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Well, these changes that you're describing um, in the northern forest, brought about by changes in in land ownership, um, really um, call into question the the future of the northern forest. Right. Um, and that isn't just a forest that's uh, Maine. It's it's really across northern New England, New York. Um, right. Where, how would you frame that that conversation about the future of Maine's northern forest? Well, I think that's something that uh, uh, obviously is is um, hanging uh, right now. Um, a question of what becomes of the northern forest? Um, do we see more uh, of uh, more applications? to develop uh, and subdivide? Or will there be an effort to keep that as a working forest? Um, the the thing that we know about the main forest is, is that uh, it is in probably the best shape that it's been in in six decades as far as the health of the forest and the inventory of the forest. There are more standing trees today in Maine than there were at any time in the last 60 years. And that means that the landowners and through state uh, regulation and oversight have taken very good care of this forest. Uh, it's not the same around the country or around uh, um, uh, the region, um, but this forest is in good shape. And is that both um, commercial and non-commercial species? It, it, yes. Usually there's a mix of, yeah. of uh, forest stands. And we have so a on. very diverse forest mm-hmm. uh, with hardwood, softwood mix. Mm-hmm. Biodiversity is, is, is excellent um, uh, in this forest. Um, so, uh, you know, the question is what do we do? And, uh, and I think there should be an effort to uh, maintain this as a forest and uh, a, a working forest, but also a forest that has uh, the 
special places identified. If you look at um, the, the the North Main Woods and you look at some of the uh, special places, um, uh, obviously the favorite places that you and I love, like mm-hmm. the Allagash mm-hmm. Waterway, uh, the St. John River that we just paddled in, in May, or but but look at Baxter State Park and um, Namakanta and Dabuli and Kineo and Gulf Hagus and Sabumak. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all names that mm-hmm. people that are listening to your show might uh, smile when they hear them because they've had a wonderful family experience there or they've mm-hmm. camped there or um, uh, they've been to one of these beautiful places. These are special places, as you say, um, the quality of place um, that is a much a part of Maine as as the working forest is. And so if we can identify those and to figure out uh, the balance and to to maybe uh, suggest a large-scale conservation effort in, in the Northwoods, I think that would help uh, the future of Maine. When the president talks about green jobs, uh, he talks about jobs that are uh, sustainable and that come from a base of sustainability like renewable energy. Um, we're doing a lot with wind power, whether it be in the Northwoods or offshore. Um, we're doing a lot with with certification. But if we could, if the people of Maine could. Have have a certified forest providing raw material to a mill that adds value, all of a sudden that old industrial job in Maine uh, as a paper worker becomes a new age green job with green energy, green certified uh, fiber, and then a green product coming out the end. Uh, that's the way we have to look at this forest in Maine. Uh, nothing will sustain it with the current existing model, mm-hmm. um, with the breakup of the land ownership and uh, uh, some of the changes. And we've known that. We've seen Dom Tar close. We've seen Old Town close. We've seen Millinocket close. We've seen Lincoln close. Now, some of these are back up, but they're all uh, hanging on, on some tough economic times. Wood fiber and energy are the keys uh, to the sustainability of the northern economy. And as, before we take a phone call, um, that notion of, of uh, biomass and also um, uh, habitat, those are both sure. parts. And I suppose um, those who are looking at, at, at carbon kinds of issues, um, that's a repository for carbon. Yeah, our, this, our um, uh, we just heard yesterday, uh, Alec Giffen has been working with uh, Senator Snow's staff and Congressman Pingree and Mishu staff to get an amendment um, on the Waxman-Markey bill on uh, cap-and-trade, which is all about climate change. Right. Um, the forests of Maine and the country were left out of the original bill. Uh, now the amendment is in. Um, Michoud, uh, Congressman Mishu got the amendment in, and uh, that will now be considered. So the the potential for the main forest for uh, carbon sequestration and carbon credit is is outstanding. When you look at 20 million acres of of land in Maine and 17 million acres of forest, uh, there's a great opportunity here. So between carbon and and forestry and, as you say, biomass, there's some opportunities. Mm. We'll take a phone call now. If you'd like to participate in our uh, conversation with uh, Commissioner Patrick McGowan, give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 here on Talk of the Towns. But we have a call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, it's sort of both. Um, my comment about the ecology of the state of Maine is that uh, everything should be done, but usually it's with a measured eye to, you know, what can what those opportunities are. Hmm. We're in a situation where we really need to think a little bit further than that. 
I was just wondering, who are the people on the Land Use Regulation Commission board now, That's and a, what do they do? Okay. Thank you. Thank you um, for your question. The, the names of the individuals are on the website um, at the Department of Conservation, but uh, uh, there is a professor from the University of Maine, a, uh, um, a small, uh, several small business owners. Uh, there's a former um, um, uh, executive at Great Northern Paper Company. Um, there's a town planner from Starks. Uh, on the on the uh, land use regulation uh, uh, land use regulation commission, and so we have a diverse. There's a town manager from from Eagle Lake. Um, so there's a group of people that are a diverse group from all over the state. Uh, someone who runs a heritage land trust up in Rangeley um, that's on the land use regulation commission. So it's a group of of diverse people from different backgrounds um, that all have uh, dedicated their. Uh, this volunteer effort to the the Northern Territory. And if someone is interested, either in serving themselves or nominating someone, how would they how would they go about that? The nomination process goes through the governor's office and uh, uh, and then is screened and then sent to the legislature once the nomination has been made. Mm, are there likely to be um, open seats in the future? Yes, um, uh, we we think the, there will probably be uh, three or four seats open in the next within the next year. Mm -hmm. Well, let's return to the question of the northern forest. Um, many over the um, past um, 15 years have talked about a national park. Um, that has gained um, some interest, but not a lot of traction. Right. Um, others are talking about some form of national forest or some other designation mm -hmm. like that. Where does that conversation stand at this point, Patrick? I mean, it's a, it, it is a conversation, and uh, it's ongoing. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, from this administration, the governor said uh, uh, that he does not favor a national park in the state of Maine. Um, and, uh, uh, and there are some issues with the national forest that we're concerned about. As you know, some of the uh, cuttings uh, in operations that happened within the, within the Bush administration. I think that if we were talking about a large-scale conservation effort in the Northwoods, then, then we as Mainers, with the um, ability, uh, uh, sort of the, the, the Yankee ingenuity that this state has, could put together a management initiative that would, would be federal, state, and private. Um, if, if we were, uh, and of course, if we were to request uh, help from the federal government to do something like this. But um, it's just that some of these things um, that we are hearing about with the National Forest don't fit into Maine. Some of the things that uh, with uh, uh, a, a national park don't fit into Maine. We've, you know, we, we know um, that the folks at Acadia um, have been struggling to keep their operations going. Um, and that is probably one of the most beautiful parks in America. Um, and they have not been given the funding uh, to do the job that they need to do. They have a volunteer group and uh, Friends of Acadia that raised several million dollars to help them keep going. So w should we be endorsing a park that would come in probably underfunded? Uh, I don't think so. And I mean, now that's part of what we've been going through as a state. Uh, our numbers in the state parks have been steady. Um, I'm sure they'll be down with 22 days of rain in June, but, uh, but they've been steady. Uh, many of the national parks in Baxter have been uh, in decline in, in their, in their uh, um, and so we think that's a good thing, and we think that the management has uh, been uh, out there, in, in whether it be our Take It Outside program that gets kids outdoors, or whether it be our first-time campers program, but that we've been out there trying to uh, uh, increase the attendance and to show 
show the people of Maine especially what they already own. And these are 47 beautiful parks and historic sites. We may come back to the issue of the yep. Northern Forest. We do have another phone call. Mm-hmm. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, I'm on the uh, board of Lake George Regional Park. Have you heard of that? I actually know quite a bit about Lake George Regional Park. Yep. And uh, I was wondering, you know, we have a sort of a management uh, strategy where the two towns, Skahegan and Canaan, take over uh, managing the park, and it's owned by the state, but uh, it seems to me like it's a good way to go, but it, I think we need a little bit more, uh, you know, funding and things, because all we get is payment on lieu of taxes uh, yeah. to keep the place going, and uh, it's, you know, we're providing the same thing as a, a, a state park, which gets about only about a third of its uh, revenues from gate receipts. So uh, I wonder if, there, if there's any way that you guys could find it in your hearts to help out places like Lake George Regional Park, where we're doing a great job with very little. I, I, I agree with you that you're doing a great job with very little. And uh, uh, Jeff McCabe is up there and does a, does a wonderful job uh, for the people. I, I actually uh, uh, sponsored the original Land for Maine's Future bond issue that purchased Lake George. And uh, I knew the former owners, uh, the Camp Moden people, very well. Had long conversations about what they wanted to do with that parcel of land when it uh, uh, when Camp Moden uh, was closed um, uh, and, and moved down into the Belgrade area. Um, so I know a lot about that park. Um, uh, I can't promise the caller we're going to give them any more money. Uh, we delayed the uh, callback of our employees two weeks this year. Um, I do think there's some very creative things that are going on in places like Lake George. We're proud of that partnership that's happening at Lake George. I think that's one of our better um, uh, cooperative organizations, and the people of Canaan and Skowhegan have uh, stepped up. Uh, it's a beautiful park on a very clean lake um, uh, that provides uh, thousands of hours of family enjoyment. So no so promises, but uh, you're doing a good job. Well, thank you. I just thought I'd put in a plug. Uh, it'd be really great if there was a way because uh, it's hard to keep the place going you know, year after year and figure out how to you know, keep the level of service. And it's, uh, but it's a, it's a great place. It's the only sort of park like that in central Maine where people you know, go swimming and, and there's a day camp and a whole lot of things happening there. So I think it seems like that Patrick's um, uh, comment about the national park system and, and struggles perhaps in funding those, we're facing the same kind of thing. So if voters um, either at the state level or at the town level value these things, we're going to have to figure out a way to step up and, and, and fund them. It, it's absolutely true. Um, when people see the, um, the facility and they see the beauty of these places, and uh, uh, you'd be surprised how people... We recently had an arson down at Damascata Lake State Park um, where our shelter was burnt down. The day after this fire, a private citizen called and said, I'm going to help you pay to rebuild that. Mm-hmm. People of Maine step up time and time again, and uh, um, that was money we didn't have in our budget. Uh, uh, we weren't anticipating the fire. Uh, we weren't anticipating uh, uh, the loss of this group shelter where people hold their family reunions weekend after weekend. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if people realize how many thousands of families are doing, are taking advantage of these places, and uh, they stepped up, and, and they're going to help us rebuild it. Great. Well, thank you for your call this morning. Um, we're talking with uh, Commissioner Patrick McGowan of the Maine Department of Conservation here on WERU's Talk of the Towns. If you'd like to participate, give us a call at one 625 9378 We do have a caller on the line. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, this is Yo in Tremont. 
I have a comment and a question. My comment is the commissioner described the personnel of the LURC as diversified, but it sounds to me as if they're all employees of institutions. And that are sounds somewhat less than diversified. Are you referring to the board? Uh, the, the board that commission. was just okay. described. Yep, yes. Not the staff. Yep. Right, board. And my question is, is it necessary to view every square inch of land as a resource? Or to put it another way, wouldn't it be a lot less expensive to just leave the land alone? Thank so, you. So, so um, if you're still on the line, I guess he's not going to stay on the line, but question of ownership. I mean, um, who who owns the, the northern forest? Who owns this land? Yeah. First is the question of, of diversity of the um, commission members. If you get a sense, uh, I, go I online think, and, and take yeah, a look at that. I mean, you there's small business owners. There are... Um, uh, there's a university professor. There's a former paper company uh, uh, employee. Um, average citizens. Yeah, a average citizens. As a town planner, as I said, from from um, Starks. These are the seven people that uh, uh, serve this board and the state uh, very well. And I and uh, when the question about the resource. I mean, it. it uh, there are some places that are in our ecological reserves that are in fact um, not utilized. Uh, they're a resource, but to wildlife right. and to uh, the habitat. And uh, so uh, his question is well taken and, uh, in fact, is is uh, a part of what we um, operate as a department uh, on 1.2 million acres of land that uh, that's owned by the people of Maine. So as as a town might say, oh, that's a special area, that's a conservation zone, or it's an, a resource protection zone, the LURC, um, the, the CLEP, the Comprehensive yep. Land Use Plan yep. for the Unorganized Territories, would also have those kinds of designations that are primarily letting the ecosystem do what the ecosystem does. Right. I mean, that's, it's, uh, I mean, it goes back to some of the debate we had about Katahdin Lake when we closed it to motorized access and hunting. I mm -hmm. mean, it's sometimes uh, nature and, and uh, animals just need a place that, uh, that they can sustain themselves. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's part of what the vision was for people like Percival Baxter and uh, others that were great conservationists that, that came before us. Mm -hmm. And I think we should maintain some of that um, in the future. Mm -hmm. That said, we still have 99% of our lands are open for multiple use, uh, hunting, fishing, um, uh, and, and other activities. Let's take another call. You're welcome to participate this morning, 1-866-625-9378. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thanks, and I appreciate Pat coming on the radio to talk to us. I do, however, have a slightly more negative view of the work of the department than perhaps has been expressed. First of all, regarding uh, LURC, if it's anything like the Board of Pesticide Control, any environmental uh, impulses on the board are usually stifled by the being outnumbered, uh, drastically outnumbered by, by industry interests. Um, second of all, I believe in our case we own a substantial amount of forest land. We've tried to harvest before, and you don't make any money if you allow any money for supervision um, much of the land in Maine is small lots, not 1.2 million acre lots or whatever. Um, the the uh, harvesting of the wood on that land is really not very profitable for the landowner, and it is complicated by the the uh, uh, harvest requirement reporting that the department has instituted for even the smallest landowners. 
So you're saying um, that you you personally have um, attempted to harvest um, and and make a profit on on forest land. Totally. Okay. And yeah. and and uh, what were some of the circumstances um, that you encountered? Well, our first call from the forestry was to say that if we didn't file a forestry report, they were going to to fine us or put us in jail, which I thought was getting off on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have uh, also tried to preserve our land, and it turns out that the land for Maine's future uh, basically uh, provides subsidies to large landowners so they can continue to own their land and make profit off of it in by harvesting large tracts. Um, when you try to get down to uh, preserving land that's not either a boat landing, a mountaintop, or a large tract of of northern Maine woods, then there's really no substantial reward for the landowner to preserve it. Matter of fact, you take a huge loss. So the LMF program, in my opinion, has been a subsidy to large landowners and a a way to well, I call it land for Maine's yuppies. Um, you know, if it's not a it's not a boat launch, they're not interested. Mm. And 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 in terms of local land trusts that might um, work with you to to reduce um, uh, taxes. Um, um, always refer to, to LMF, the only source of money available. And if you want to take pennies per acre compared to what you bought it for, that's fine. But mm-hmm. other than that, no help is available. And and that you've you've looked at the conservation easement route that that um, you you forego development, but you do get um, some uh, both income tax and pr- perhaps property tax reduction. You haven't tried those. Uh, when you spend thousands of dollars per acre. Uh, being offered a couple hundred per acre for the easement uh-huh. is not a substantial, uh, 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 doesn't make up for the loss of value to okay. the landowner. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get some comments from the commissioner. Thanks for your, your, for your call. Thank you. Th- th- those those points are uh, well taken, um, um, but some of them are are, are wrong. And uh, uh, we've never put anybody in jail for a forestry notification. Uh, uh, I don't think we've ever taken any legal action. Um, we have uh, um, uh, we we uh, require people to file a forestry operations notice, uh, which says you're going onto your land and you're going to cut. I mean, one of the things I'd suggest to this landowner is to is to watch the markets and uh, um, don't necessarily go with a straight-out stumpage agreement. Get a main uh, forester, one of our forest, regional forest folks, to come down to your woodlot and to walk that woodlot with you and to look at the values of some of the trees, whether they be saw logs or whether they're with veneer logs, and to um, look at your land and to see it as a potential, I will cut this at this point in time, but always watch the markets. If you're selling uh, when the market is down, you're never going to make any money on your woodlot. And if you cut your woodlot once every uh, 50 to 70 years, then that's a, a real opportunity lost. Um, those are the things that we, we will do to to help out uh, the landowners. The Land for Maine's Future program um, it serves everybody in this state. Um, and, and I mean uh, not just the tourists that come in that maybe he was referring to, but uh, 70% of the 2.2 million visitors we have are all Maine people. And so they're not uh, for uh, um, uh, upper-income folks. Uh, they're for the people of Maine that need a place to go uh, to take their families, and our parks are full of them. Hopefully the sun will be shining this weekend, and this 
fellow could go meet uh, all of these people that are enjoying these uh, beautiful places that we've set aside. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't buy large scales, large uh, um, uh, landscapes in the Northwoods. We did uh, some of that early on, but now it's basically the special places, and we're trying to get the best uh, bang for the dollar in the bond issue uh, approvals that have been made. Great. Let's go to another phone call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Can you discuss eco-terrorism, what it is, whether it exists in Maine? If it does exist in Maine, who's behind it, and what is the state doing about it? Okay, we'll, we'll give that a shot. Thanks Thank for you. your call. Eco-terrorism. I mean, I don't, I don't uh, uh, have a definition of eco-terrorism. I think that uh, um, any time that someone is fearful or feels like there's a threat to them or their personal well-being, then that is some, whether it be uh, um, if you're in a, uh, um, a marketplace in Jerusalem or if you're in a public hearing in Augusta, um, any time that you feel like somebody could cause personal harm to you, that is um, uh, uh, some sort of terrorizing. And uh, um, I don't have a definition of eco-terrorism. I mean, people have said that if you spike a tree that someone is running a chainsaw in, to uh, a logger, uh, which is, uh, you, you know, uh, then, then, then there's a chance they could be injured seriously, severely, uh, then that uh, is a form of, of uh, terrorism that can be, uh, harm can be done to somebody. So, um, you know, we've seen some things that have happened um, um, in, of lately where uh, people's tires have been um, slashed and people's automobiles have been um, scratched and uh, some people have uh, uh, chained themselves together in our building and l actually caused a lot of fear amongst the workers, didn't know what um, that was all about. So um, the definition is uh, not something that I carry with me or have a, uh, something that I can give offhand, but I know if you're fearful of what you do and where you work, then, uh, then that is wrong. Mm -hmm. The second part of the question um, seemed to be, is there any um, organized um, um, uh, response to these isolated, um, but perhaps um, certainly uh, not for the individuals that fe feel the fear, yeah. but isolated cases? Um, you know, I think the answer is yes. There have been uh, cases recently in Maine where people have been um, um, uh, you know, employees of Plum Creek Timber Company have been fearful of their homes and their families. I mean, these weren't the people that uh, brought this plan forward that was brought out of Seattle. Mm -hmm. These people go to work every day and they mm -hmm. either work as a forester on a woodlot or they do uh, development. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, um, uh, you know, it, it, I don't think Maine is a place uh, for this type of, we've always welcomed a different uh, opinion, mm. and we're always a place where the town meeting started and healthy debate. But threatening people is is not the way we do it in Maine, mm. and uh, uh, that would be um, my comment about eco-terrorism. Let's uh, turn to um, alternative en energy. Um, Maine has recently. Um, um, kind of put on a f kind of fast track um, the, the possibility of uh, increasing wind energy in the, in the, on the land side. And we're seeing, um, with recent legislation passed, um, exploration of, of uh, offshore wind. Talk a little bit about the, the Department of Conservation's role in both of those. Well, we've had uh, um, um, several hundred megawatts of wind power come before uh, LERC in the unorganized territory. The DEP has had several hundred megawatts as well, and then th there's a new law in Maine, which um, which would um, 
uh, expedite the process for wind power licensing. And why would someone go once to DEP and once to Department of Conservation? Um, just um, we're, where the land we're, is? We're, where the we're trying to move it mostly toward the DEP now, okay. but in fact, when it happens on uh, the 10 million acres of the unorganized territory, we will have a review process and some of our folks will look at it, like the um, proposal, the expanded proposal with TransCanada up in the Kibbe Mountain region or um, Stetson II, or, uh, which is down east, um, and the um, um, the proposal that's that the um, Penobscot Nation uh, is working on up uh, in the Alder Stream area. So, um, so um, a streamlined process. Um, what's what's the potential? What are we seeing in the, terms of potential? I think there's unlimited potential. I think there's some great opportunities for wind power in Maine. As you know, Maine is the most heavily dependent state on fossil fuels. Eighty percent of our energy comes from oil companies mm -hmm. in, in mostly in the Middle East. And so um, I think we're changing that dynamic by generating more renewables uh, like wind power. We're going to do offshore wind. Um, uh, we've just recently recommended uh, legislation that's been passed on, on offshore wind. So those opportunities are very big as well. But I believe that uh, Maine is on track, and there's a vision of this governor and this administration to get Maine energy independent. Mm -hmm. And some of that is biomass, some of it is wood to energy, some of it is wind, and uh, there's some there's some uh, good potentials for the state to be off of foreign oil uh, in the next couple of decades. And in terms of offshore, what's the department's role in, in looking at offshore wind energy? Uh, state geologist Bob Marvini is one of the uh, chairs of the siting group that will give um, the uh, governor a listing of five potential sites for offshore wind to be developed uh, by December 15th of 2009. Okay, great. We have some more calls. Um, you're welcome to participate as well. 1-866-625-9378 here on Talk of the Towns as we talk with Commissioner Patrick McGowan of the Depart Maine Department of Conservation. We have a caller. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Hi, um, Mr. McGowan. Yep. Um, I just want you to clarify your um, uh, definition of eco-terrorism. Are you saying that people who engage in non-violent civil disobedience and may get arrested for that are terrorists? Because the event you're talking about that where people were arrested in Department of Conservation's offices, those people were nonviolent. They pose absolutely no threat to any of your staff. Um, there was no threat to violence. There was no form of violence. And all I want to know is uh, they had demands. They wanted to be part of the land use, um, the lurk, um, 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 Five-year plan. Uh, um, I'm sorry, the five-year plan uh, committee, uh, and they were told that they were not, as a group, um, considered to be um, uh, a respectable enough group. But this group had been working for months and months on a volunteer basis. Um, with work around Plum Creek. So my question to you is, are those people eco-terrorists? 
Um, I never referred to those people as eco-terrorists. Uh, what we did... You use the, but, but, sir, you used the example as a form of eco-terrorism in the last two callers. Yeah, no, I said if you feel fearful of, that you may be physically harmed... Um, by an individual, um, then I think that is, in, in, any, in any form, it's a form of, of terrorism. And so uh, those folks we actually did agree to meet with, and uh, we did agree to talk with them. And they had set up informational demonstrations outside of our building several times. So that was allowed and that was acceptable. But when they came into the building and uh, uh, basically caused a lockdown of the building and chained themselves together, which I think was could have been potentially harmful to them um, that was the problem and uh, uh, and as I said it's it's uh, uh, it's, it's not the way thank you thank you caller thank you caller no I didn't thank you caller we have another call I think we'll go ahead and take that call go ahead with your question or comment please oh how many people on the board of lurk and how many people on the staff of lurk own and reside in unorganized territory Patrick, did you get the question? I believe three reside in the unorganized territory, and uh, um, the staff, I'm not exactly sure. I would, uh, uh, there's 25 staff people, and of course, it's an, it's an Augusta. Uh, most of the planners are in Augusta, um, and, but we do have field offices in Ashland and uh, Millinocket, and uh, uh, so I think that uh, um, uh, we'd have to do a breakdown of if they resided in the UT, but uh, uh, they, they're, very, they're very close to it. Do you, you want to follow up, Color? Uh, and also, who gave them the power to rule over the owners <coughs> excuse me, and residents of the UT? Well, the legislature gave them the power in 1970, which they've had uh, 1971, I believe, Lurk was formed. And that was formed by uh, uh, legislators who are very concerned about uh, growth that was happening, uh, some development that was happening uh, that wasn't being checked, which included protection of lakes, streams, and rivers, and, uh, um, and forest practices that were going on. So it was given to, to them by the legislature and has been supported uh, uh, continually for that 39-year uh, period. Further questions, sir? Oh, yes, a county line problem. Now, I have a county line problem. And uh, who do they send to uh, resolve it? The fire <laughs> warden. More than once. And the fire warden has absolutely nothing to do with the, with the county line problem or any other forestry problem. And I had several forestry problems, and uh, ah, it sounds like a good old boy network to me. That's all I can tell you. I see. Thank you. Okay, thank you for your call this morning. We have one more call. Let's go ahead and take that call. Go ahead, go ahead please. Hi. Yes, uh, go ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, Lynn from Bar Harbor. Um, Commissioner McGowan, I found it interesting uh, that you stated that since Maine is so dependent on fossil fuels that we need a lot of industrial wind farms to get off that fossil fuel uh, thing. But isn't it the case that all the power from Kibbe, Mars Hill, Stetson 1, Stetson 2, and the proposed Lincoln Project will be shipped out of state. Um, the, the, the only uh, project that is purely going out of state is the Mars Hill project, which is going to Canada. And that's, uh, I mean, one of the things that we have to do, in, and we passed this in this uh, Wind Power Enabling Act, Act last year was a public purpose 
um, provision that says that the people of Maine need to benefit from this power that is generated. And so I think there are some opportunities for long-term power agreements, whether it be the industrial consumers of electricity or um, families and small businesses. But there are certainly some opportunities, and it is in the law, to meet a public purpose. But right now, uh, the only project that's being built that's purely all going out of um, uh, state, and it's actually out of the country, is Mars Hill, and that's because of the lack of a transmission line. Great. Any further follow-up, caller? Yes. First Wind, which is uh, not only Morris Hill, but Stetson 1, 2, and Lincoln, has publicly stated to the at community meetings that the power would be shipped for most of those projects to southern New England. So I'm, what I'm saying is I find it very difficult to get a handle on, quote, public benefit, which is stated in the expedited wind ordinance, mm-hmm. when in fact, the publics who are unwillingly, for the most part, hosting those industrial facilities will not benefit one iota. Thank you for your call. You're welcome. Um, we have one more call before the end of the hour. Go ahead and, and uh, uh, state your name and where you're calling from and your question or comment, please. Okay. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm calling from Bangor. Um, Commissioner McGowan, thank you for coming on. I appreciate this opportunity to speak with you. and. And uh, as a community, I think it's, a, it's great to have you available to us. I just wanted to make a, a comment about the eco-terrorism, and that is just that look. Uh, Super Walmart out on uh, the Bangor Mall area, uh, people said no to it. People constantly said no to it. Uh, they did it anyway. Uh, Plum Creek, there are many people that have the foresight to understand that natural resources have a value that is much greater than that of the potential real estate development that they're looking at. What, what we're finding is an enormous amount of frustration because what happens is these major corporations to us, at least this is how we perceive it, they just push things until they find a judge that they can buy or they just brutalize us legally in court to a point where uh, the majority of the will of the people is not being met. Eco-terrorism, in my view, is co- corporations who are extremely environmentally irresponsible. And the duplication of services, the massive uh, environmental damage that has happened uh, to that marsh because of that super Walmart personally outrages me. And, it, and if they, if they uh, build, you know, a thousand camps around Moosehead Lake, that is environmental terrorism in my view. And anybody who stands up to that, anybody who, anybody who defends this planet against greed profiteering, massive greed junkies, billionaire industrialists who don't care about us, they don't care about our community, they don't care about our land. All they care about is shareholder profits. This, this type of irresponsible uh, fiscal behavior needs to be interrupted. And if people feel uncomfortable by that, my view is just that's too bad, because I feel very uncomfortable about that monstrosity of a super Walmart that they just built, and then they're going to abandon the other building, which is going to sit empty, just like the large Home Depot building. And uh, the, the people who are in charge of letting these people do whatever they want... We're uh, running out of time, sir. Can you, okay, can well, you cut I think, that off? I, well, I think, that, I think that the example here is the reality that these places keep getting developed, these things keep happening against public will. And thank you very much. Have thank, a good week. You, thank you very much for your call. 
I mean, I'd say to Chris that uh, that time and time again, we have uh, 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 purchased places that were up for development. Don L. Pond was a great example uh, where it was was targeted for subdivision. We put it into conservation. Hundreds of families use that every day uh, throughout the summer months for recreation and family time. So um, I I hear his point. Right. Thanks so much for being with us, Patrick. Patrick McGowan, the commissioner of the Maine Department of of, Conservation. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnane House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to Patrick McGowan, Commissioner of the Department of Conservation, for being with us this morning. Thanks to those of you who called in and um, listened to our program. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. WERU Community Radio is now broadcasting overnight 24-7, offering a diverse mix of live programs.